This morning, um, I, I want to share with you, um, as we continue going through the Experiencing God workbook, um, our small groups have been going through it, and our first, I believe the first group that started our Experiencing God workbook actually is finishing on Tuesday morning. Is that correct? On Tuesday evening, I'm sorry. They're going to be finishing, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've gone through this book for the second time. It's the Experiencing God workbook, and what I have found is the second time around has been even more meaningful than the first time around. Um, what, what I have found going through this book is that it's, it's kind of solidifying in my mind and in my heart that God is wanting me to do something, something even more than what I'm already doing. And so I truly believe that I've been trying to follow God's will in my life every step of the way, but I think that God is always asking us to take one more step. God's always asking us to go one step further, trusting Him and believing that He will lead us every step of the way. And so this morning, we're talking about God's will for the church. God's will for the church. Now, the simple answer to this question for what is God's will for the church is this. God wants us to be kingdom people. God wants us to be kingdom people. So when we ask the question, what is God's will for the church, the simple and the easiest answer is that God wants us, you and me, to be kingdom people. But what this answer actually does is it prompts another question, which is this, what does it look like to be a kingdom people? What does it really look like to be a person of the kingdom of God? What does it look like, in essence, to be a Christian in this time and in this place? And in order to best answer that question, we have to define and determine what kingdom actually means. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? So what we need to first answer is what does it mean? What does the Bible mean and what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? And so the first text that I want to look at this morning is John chapter 18, verse 36. And Jesus says the following, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. We know if we've been in church for any length of time that Jesus was about to be arrested. It was a Thursday night of the, of the day before he would be crucified. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had been praying, him and his disciples, and then the guards show up to arrest him. And what is Jesus' response? My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. And so the next fill in the blank that I want to show you is that the kingdom of God is what? It's not from this world. Now, we've seen these, um, these, we've seen these stickers on the backs of cars. We've seen the t-shirts. We've seen all of that, the N-O-T-W, not of this world. And I think oftentimes when we think of this, we think, yeah, the kingdom of God, it's not of, it's not of this world. It's somewhere up in heaven, somewhere into the future. And although that is partly true, what Jesus was saying was something vastly more meaningful and even more real than we realize. You see, when we think of the kingdom of heaven not being of this world, we think of it somewhere beyond our known galaxy. This past uh, two weeks ago, my son, my 14-year-old, had to do, or, yeah, 14-year-old had to do, um, he had to do like our galaxy, right? And so he had to do all the planets and he had to do the sun. 
And, you know, he was trying to do them to scale the best that he could. And it was on two sheets of paper. And so it was just showing them right aligned. And I began to think about this and I was talking to him and I said, you know, this is just one part of our galaxy. There are other galaxies. The universe is so enormous, we can never fully grasp how big it is. And I believe if, it's, if I'm correct, I saw in the video that we had here several months ago, almost a year ago, that the Earth, if you were to think about it in the space of the entire known universe or universes, solar system, everything, we are like a speck of dust, like one little grain of sand in the bigger cosmos. It's humbling that we think, I mean, our life is everything, and yet in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, our earth is simply a speck, which makes me think that God can be in control of that, that if we are that small, God can actually be fully in charge and in control of everything, Amen. Like, I think I can control my kids. I can't. But you know what I mean? I can try to prevent as many bad things from happening. I think God functions the same way. So we think the kingdom of God is somewhere else. But what Jesus was actually saying is that the king, his kingdom, by saying that this world, what he's actually saying is that it is not modeled after any other kingdom. Or to use our 2012 language, the kingdom of God is not modeled after any government or kingdom. It's different. The way that God decides to work in this world is vastly different than anything that is around here. And so the next slide, the next fill in the blank that I want you to fill in says this, the kingdom of God is one of a kind. There is none like it, and it functions by its own rules. It functions by a different set of rules than everything around. The kingdom of God God doesn't have to force us to do things. God doesn't have to overpower us. He doesn't have to use a heavy hand and say, if you don't do this, then I'm going to kill you. That's not the way God works. What we find is that Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, he didn't have his disciples um, fight. He didn't have them defend them. Instead, what did Jesus do? He voluntarily handed himself over because Jesus was clear about God's call in his life. Jesus' sole existence on this earth was to show us who God was and in the process of it show us that God loves you so much that he would lay his life down so that you would have the forgiveness of your sins. The kingdom of God is characterized by one person, Jesus, laying his life down, sacrificing to serve us. Amen? Would a, would a regular government or kingdom do that? Would, could you imagine a king laying his life down for his, for his people? No. What would the king expect of his people? To take a bullet for him. To jump in front of the sword or whatever it is. So I, I have an analogy. If... Now, in terms of kingdoms or governments, you know, the United States has a military to protect and defend, correct? Or that, that's the police, right, model? <laughs> to protect and defend, serve and defend. But our military functions as a way to protect us, right? To keep the United States safe. 
Our government officials, ideally, are supposed to try to keep us as safe as possible and help us to prosper. That's what they do. But the military, in a sense, are the people that act as a buffer, which is why we, we honor them, which is why we are thankful for them, which is why we always, you know, whenever we have um, to a sporting event and they do the Star-Spangled Banner, for, for me, or National Anthem, I'm sorry, for me, what I think about when I'm there, it's not just that flag, it's not just the colors on the flag, but the fact that while I'm at a baseball game, there are men and women serving across the world to keep us safe. And that's what I remember, and so a military will keep our country safe. And our president has another little military, right? The, um, why, why is it? The Secret Service to keep him safe because that's how the kingdoms of this world work. And yet what we find in the kingdom of God is that Jesus doesn't need any of that because he is not afraid and he will lay his life down for us. So we have the example of the military of the Secret Service. Another example, and like you, can, you know, I couldn't get away from a sports analogy. Um, it's hard to really see and, and you for um, it might be a little bit hard but what you see in the middle of that picture there is a guy you can hardly see him but you see the ball being released in, in midair do you see that okay that's called the quarterback for those of you who don't know the sport of football if you look around the, the men in the blue jerseys and the dark blue jerseys that is his offensive line which means that those guys' sole purpose is to protect the quarterback from being sacked Okay, we call this the pocket, all right, in, in the football language. This is the pocket. And now, if, now I don't know about you, but I, I, I was never a quarterback. I was number 54. That was my job. I was a center, the guy that gives the ball. I know I'm small, but I was pretty good. I'm the one that gives the ball to the quarterback. That was my job. Now, the offensive line gets no glory. We get our name is never in the paper. Um, you never get to score a touchdown. You don't get the girls. I mean, you don't get anything. Your one job is to protect that guy who is throwing the ball and the guy that runs past you, the running back. But if you notice, this quarterback, he has been with this team long enough. He is one of the best, one of the best of all time, I think. One of the best currently, that's for sure, Tom Brady. But look, if I was him, I would be thinking about all of those guys in the white shirts trying to rip my head off. I wouldn't be able to play that sport, but he knows that his teammates are going to do everything they can and sacrifice their bodies in order to protect him and keep him from getting sacked. That is the way the kingdoms of this world work. But the kingdom of God is one where the king, Jesus, doesn't need anybody to protect him, but rather lays his life down so that you and I would have eternal life. The kingdom of God is not a power over system, but rather one that works from the bottom up, serving one another. It's why we wash each other's feet when we have communion. Because it is the symbol of serving one another. The kingdom of God is about people who serve one another with no strings attached, but we serve others just for the sake of doing good and being imitators of God. The kingdoms of the world would never do that. So think about this last image. A couple of years ago, when they caught Saddam Hussein, did he, did he just hand himself over and say, okay, I'm guilty? What did he do? He was on the run. People were trying to defend him. They found him in a hole hiding. The kingdom of God is the opposite of that. 
where the power of the kingdom of God comes from people like you and me willing to serve. Serving others can never be stopped. Serving others through love. No one can ever stop that. No one can ever argue against it. The power of the kingdom of God is that people would willingly serve others selflessly. Amen? So when we think about what is God's will for the church, God's will for the church is that we become kingdom people and we take our example from Jesus. And so Jesus says, "Um, my kingdom is not from here. If I were to function like a regular king, I wouldn't do anything for you. But because I am Jesus, son of God, I have come to rescue and to save you. And so we began with the question, what does it look like to be a kingdom person? So I want to I wanna transition slightly. I, I was listening to a radio show, a talk radio, and they were talking about this one guy. He's a religious leader. I believe it was somewhere in Russia who had this big following. They were living all in a compound, and he was their Messiah figure. And so these two radio hosts, these are not, this is not a Christian radio show, okay? It's just I was, list, I was flipping through the channels, kind of caught my attention, and so I was listening. And they asked this question, what would it take? For people to think that somebody is godlike. What would it take for somebody to really think that somebody was Christ-like? They didn't use Christ-like, but they said godlike. What would it take? Naturally, my mind starts thinking like, yeah, what would it take? And they decided that the only way that people would really think that somebody was godlike or was like some sort of godly person was if they could do amazing tricks. These are not these are guys who were I think brought up Catholic but don't really prescribe to anything. I kind of did a little bit of research. But for them, they decided that for somebody to be like or godlike or Christ-like was that they had to do something special. They had to do something out of the ordinary. And I think that Jesus talks about that where he says, People believe in me because they see signs and wonders. And the reality is, is I think that we do this today too. We begin to think that the only way that people will think we are Christians or think that we are followers of Jesus is that we have to be perfect. The problem with being perfect is that it's impossible. Nobody can be perfect. You know, we, we don't look for signs and wonders anymore as Christians. We just look to ourselves to be as perfect as possible. The problem with that is that God hasn't called you to be perfect. God has called you to be his hands and feet in this world. Did you know that? In the Bible, you won't find anywhere that it says to be perfect. And the one verse that you guys are thinking about isn't being sinless. The Bible simply calls us to be God's message to this world, which leads us to the next slide, where Jesus in John 14, 12 says this, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, In fact, we'll do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Who will do greater works than Jesus? Who? Yeah. Is that weird? Is that hard to swallow? Yeah. But you can't really argue with the words of Jesus, can you? It doesn't say that the one who believes, it doesn't say that the smartest will do what I've done 
or that the ones that know the Bible the most, or the ones who have been church leaders the longest, or the ones who have given the most tithe and offering, or the one who has the best job, or the one who preaches, it says, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, they will do greater than these. The best that I can understand this is, you know, we often say, I want Jesus to come already. I want Jesus to come back already because I want to get out of this place. And I can only imagine Jesus in wherever Jesus is, right? You know, because God is beyond time and space. And I can only imagine him saying, like, I want to come back too. But you have this entire time now to do something good in my name. You see, we, we get so preoccupied with getting out of this world that it's this, what's called evacuation theology where we just want to get out of this world. And I get it. Times can be difficult here. I've been there. I've experienced some difficulty in my life. Um, when I first started preaching, I, I would preach sermons like this, and I'd be like, you know, it's easy for me to say, but I haven't really experienced very much difficulty in my life, very many hard times. And in the last six years, I have experienced my fair share of excruciatingly difficult times. So I've been there when I think God just come already. But what I've realized is that if it's up to God when Jesus returns. Until then, you and I are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because according to Jesus, he says that you and I, whoever believes in Jesus, that's the only prerequisite. Do you believe in Jesus? You will do greater things than Jesus did. Which means that God has a plan for his church. I would say it this way. You can do a whole lot because God is empowering you to do so. You are the hands and feet of God. The reason we will do greater things is because Jesus is going to the Father and Jesus chose you, the church, to be his hands and feet in the world. Have you ever left your um, eldest in charge of the younger kids? You're entrusting that, for us anyway, Kylie will take care of her brother and sister for an hour or two while Kim and I have to go out and do something. It's the same way with God. He is entrusting us together to do what he did while he was here. In fact, God is asking us to do even more. God couldn't set up soup kitchens while he was here. It's interesting, Jesus' ministry, do you know what Jesus' main ministry was other than laying down his life for us? Did he start soup kitchens? Did he start homeless shelters? Did he, help, did he start battered women's shelters? Did he start um, places that help people for whatever issues they have? No, Jesus didn't have time to do any of that. You know what Jesus did do? is he invested his life for three and a half years into 12 men, one of which failed. Do you realize that? That Jesus' ministry was to invest in 12 men, and it is through that, three and a half years, day in and day out, that has shaped the entire course of history because we now fall in the same line of believers as the disciples did. And God is calling you to do many good things. God's will for the church is for us to be kingdom people. And in order for us to be kingdom people, it means that we make Jesus Lord of our lives. Another way of saying it is when God calls us to do something, we do it 
because he has relied on us to be his hands and feet in this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 22. It says that the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So this is for you who you might be thinking, well, I'm not very good at doing anything and I, I don't really know how to preach. I don't know how to sing. I don't have time to be a deacon or deaconess. And so that's why I'm just going to come to church. Maybe you feel like you have nothing to give, and yet what the Bible tells us is for the men that seem, seem, not that are, but that feel like they have nothing to give, you are indispensable. You're indispensable because God's call to us is for the entire church. And I want to end with reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and I don't believe it's up here. No, it says this. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. And in Ephesians, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. To live by the kingdom rules of the kingdom of God we are to be imitators of God, imitators of the example that Jesus gave us through the scriptures. Through that, God will honor and bless us as a church to do greater things. You see, Jesus, I mean, I think God loves it. I, I say I think because I've never actually heard him say this, but I'm pretty sure that if I was a betting man, I'd put it all down on this, that God likes it when we come to church and worship him, right? It's like we get together to be thankful for what God has done. But what the Bible clearly instructs us, what Jesus tells us, is that as a church, we must not only come here, but that we must also, as kingdom people, serve the world and do good. Which is why we're trying to, this is, which is why we have a prison ministry who goes into a prison. And, and you need to talk to these people who are a part of this ministry. I haven't had a chance to go yet, but I will soon in the next couple of months. But they say it's pretty weird when you walk into this prison and you hear all of these doors closing behind you. And if I remember correctly, if there's a riot, you're on your own, right? Is that how it is? Which, whoever, yeah. That's kind of scary, right? I mean... That's why we, we feed the homeless in Santa Ana. Yeah, it's in Santa Ana. We have to go over there. But that's why we do it, because we believe that it makes God angry when people have to go without food. We believe it makes God angry that though people are in prison or in jail for what they've done, he still makes him angry if people like us, believers, are not reaching out to them and giving them this message of hope so that hopefully they will change their lives. And when they come out, they will have a second chance. It makes God angry when people are hurting and in need, and we don't do anything about it. And I would say that it might hurt God that if we gather in this building and don't do anything else, God may think, you've missed the point. We call this place the house of God. Not because God lives here, but because God comes alive here when we gather to worship him. Which is why we're going through such great lengths to try to make this building look better. To make it the best that it can be because this is where we honor God in one way. 
This is one of the many ways that we come and worship God, which is why we ask for your generosity to make this the very best place so that when people come in, visitors, people that have never heard the message of God, that when they come in, they might feel at home. I keep telling our leaders this, is that we as a church, we don't compete with other churches. That's not what we do. We're competing with the world around us. We're competing with sports, with movie theaters, with television shows. We're competing with Disneyland and these amusement parks where every detail is perfect to the last bit. And what I've been sharing with them, with our leaders, is we have to do the same, but do it even better. So that when people come in here, they will say, wow, there's something special about this place. Not just because of the building, but because of what the people inside of it are doing outside of it. God's will for the church is that through becoming a kingdom people, we would in fact be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that is desperately in need of this message of hope in all of its forms. Will you pray with me? God, as we, um, as we continue to wrestle with your words, as we continue to wrestle with the fact that you've said that we would do things in you, may you inspire in us a vision to do this that you are asking us to do, that we would do it faithfully, selflessly, that we would be able to proclaim your message of grace, of truth, and of redemption that we would make that available to all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.